From Val Valsden Recites, 1926, we present the story of 50 years of variety and comedy on radio. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bar. Ah There's no people like show people Today they told you you would not go far That night you open and there you are Next day on your dressing room they've hung a star Let's go on with the show Let's go is 1926. The month is January. January 4th, to be precise, three days after the official opening of 2RN by Dr. Douglas Hyde. And on January 4th, the first light entertainment programme took the air. It was the legendary Val Vasden, in one of the comedy character sketches he had made known in every fit-up hall throughout the country. When I was a private monster. I had a clear experience, me said. It was out in the east I was, and the climate there used to change every few minutes. As one minute would be roasting, and the next it would be freezing cold. Well, me said, me pal, we were out with all rifles one day to see if we could find any game to shoot, but a devil thing could be found. We were packing up to go home, and what do you think happened? Didn't a big bear come around the corner, the jungle? At this time it was roasting hot, and several no present to run or corner, sir. The sweat off me followed rolled down into the barrel of the rifle. I took an aim at the bear, and as I fired, the weather became suddenly freezing cold. I hit him in the forehead, and the sweat on the bullet turned into icicles, but I didn't kill him. He got to say he's a grand animal today. I'd better put him out of pain anyhow. And just as I was about to fire again, didn't the weather change and become sweltering hot? The icicles on the bullet charred, and the poor beast died from water and the brain. <laughs> Through crystal sets and loudspeakers, his unmistakable voice held listeners spellbound. He was to feature regularly on Irish radio for almost 30 years and to become one of the best-known personalities on the air. Like Jimmy O'Dea, Harry O'Donovan, Carl McGarvey, Faye Sargent, Pat Hayden, Lionel Day, who in 1948 became a member of the Radio Erin Players, Eva Brennan, John Linsky, Eileen Murnahan, Tom Madden, John McDonough, Tony Redden and Jack O'Sheehan, Val was one of the small band of enthusiasts who for the sheer love of theatre sustained the lighter side of radio for the first five years. It must have been for love. It certainly wasn't for the money. Because the director, Seamus Clandillon, rarely had any to give. And they were lucky if they got ten shillings each. Another act on the air in those days was called Light and Shade, who were Paddy Monaghan, son of art, 
and Khan O'Shea, father of the now famous Milo O'Shea. By 1928, 2RN had cast its net wider. Relays were arranged from the old Capitol Theatre, sketches by Jack O'Sheehan, music by Alex Fryer and the Capitolians, with the Tiller Girls and a singing quintet, the maestros, they were called. Then, in despair of finding any full-length comedy suitable for radio, Seamus Clendillon began taking relays of the Odeo Donovan pantomimes from the Queens and the Olympia, so if you tuned into Athlone, as it was now called, you might have heard this. Well, Mrs. Mulligan was around well right from the start. Her first appearance on the stage was in a sketch entitled Sixpence Each Way. The scene was a bookie's office somewhere in Dublin. Hey, Charlie. Charlie, am I late for a bet on the first race? No, you're not. It's just one, and the first race isn't until 1.20. Oh, all right. Sixpence each way on Walter Spryatt. On what? Walter Spryatt, are you deaf? So are you, Doctor. Have a look. Oh, you... Walter Spryatt. What did you think I said? Porter Spryatt. It's a good thing you don't spell it the way you speak it, or you'd never be paid on it, even if it did win. What do you mean, even if it did win? Are you a great chip about it? Oh, wait a second. Give me my shilling back for a minute. Hey, listen, do you want the money on or not? I do, I do. But you've upset me mind now with your even if it did win. Look, if I back the favourite at 11 to 2 on, what do I get back for me sixpence each oh, way? Listen, don't be bothering me. Yes, oh yes. Hello, hello. Yes, sir. Right. Two and six each way rolling pin. First race, five shillings. Right, sir. Thank you. Rolling pin. That's in the same race as Walter Spryer's. Does the paper chip that one? Yes, 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 some of them. But didn't it sprain a fretlock or something last week? No! What does it say about it in the Newmarket Gallops? Did you do a rattling seven furlongs at a useful pace or anything Look, like that? Look, will you gallop out of my sight, for heaven's sake? I'm busy. Don't be getting so cross. Rolling pin. This is me day for baking griddle cakes, so I think I'll chance me bob on that one. Now listen, will you chance it on something for the love of Mike and don't be standing in people's way? Oh, very well. Keep your hair on. Sixpence each way on rolling pins. No wonder they're putting a tax on you. Yes, uh, wait a minute, wait. Hello, hello. Yes, this is Max. Oh, is that Mr. O'Reilly? Yes, sir. Ten pounds to win, yes, and four pounds a place, right. On Rumping Raymond. That's all right, sir, the first race. Rumping Raymond, I never noticed that one. Is it among the arrivals? You've no right, you've no right to be listening into my telephone conversations. I have a cousin named Raymond in Australia. I think I'll chance me arm on Rumping Raymond. Uh, morning, John. Excuse me, Mrs. Mulligan, I'm in a hurry. Uh, uh, take the stock of John, will you? Right, you Red Rover. Yes, that's Each right. Each way. Okay. Oh, the first race. Okay, there you are, there's your ticket. Thanks, Come on, John. Red Rover. Here. Tenor each way, romping Raymond. Take your ticket and go. Is Red Rover one of Harris's horses? Oh. Jimmy Boyle must have had a word about it or he wouldn't be backing it in such a hurry. Listen, here's your ticket. Wait a minute. Did Red Rover win his last race? Will you take your ticket and get out of my sight? Ah, it's your own fault for putting me off a water surprise. I'm not going to, I'm not going to risk my money without due consideration. Now, listen, here. Take your shilling and go and buy bullseyes with it. I'll report you to your boss, so I will. The likes of me that helps the, uh, him to buy his roses rices for him. Uh, very well, take your shilling and go and buy one for yourself. Put me shilling on Red Rover. Now you're too late. Here's the results of the first race. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, hello? Yes. First race, yes. yes. One by ten lengths by what? Water spray. Water spray? What's the SP? Yes, 20 to 1. 20 to 1? Oh, me, your mother. There goes me with the coat. 
Eileen Marmion, now Mrs. Noel Purcell, the original child star of the O.D. shows, remembers. Harry O'Donovan, who was uh, such a lovely person, uh, I was doing shows with him, reviews and that, in the uh, Olympia. And uh, he asked me, would I do some radio show? He was doing a little series for Children's Hour, I believe it was. I was only about nine or ten, so I don't remember a great deal about it, but I do remember climbing up to the top of Denmark House in Denmark Street, and um, we were in this room with um, the microphone on a huge mahogany stand with a big felt lining, and this cylinder, the microphone was a big long cylinder, and um, they stood me on a box to reach the mic, you know. And um, in the show, uh, Harry, of course, and uh, his wife, Eileen Hayden, she was called at those days, and her sister, Eva Brennan, who is Dennis Brennan's mother. And they had both glorious voices. By the beginning of 1929, Radio Athlone had vacated the single drafty studio in Denmark Street and moved into its new premises in Henry Street. By comparison, these were impressively palatial. Actually, three studios and a newsreader's room. Now, at last, it was felt, broadcasting would begin to flourish. And flourish it did. In the next few years, listeners heard Barney McCool of Coolahi, the Antlers, the Thunder Brothers, the Black Jesters, Frank O'Donovan, Visiting stars, Lupino Lane, Morton Downey and Raymond Navarro. All three were appearing at the Old Theatre Royal and agreed to broadcast for what must have seemed to them hilariously inadequate fees. Al Thomas recalls working in the Henry Street studios. A man came on the scene named Larry Morrow. He was quite remarkable because he had, he had ideas that were... Oh, completely unconventional and, in my humble opinion, quite unworkable. His idea was that variety had to mean always something new. He suggested to me one day that it would be very, very good if we did a few songs with a broken piano. I thought that was mad, you know. And he made all sorts of changes. He wanted to introduce humour. He persuaded me to agree to the production of some little stupid sketches and a couple of us sweated blood writing these silly things. We formed, we had one regular thing, it was a company called Bologna Brothers. You know, uh, they sold anything, they did anything, but it was all Bologna, really. And these things were very, very pedestrian, but this was what he wanted, and he thought they were very good. We used to think they were dreadful. And then we sang songs as well. We also did a considerable amount of work as the Antlers with Peggy Dell, who was a brilliant musician, not only in her personality, most delightful to work with, but her, her skill and expertise and the breadth of her, her knowledge of music was really wonderful. The man with whom we, we established very friendly relations was a man who was uh, at one time was the director of it. Of course, that's the very well-known Charlie Kelly. Yeah, and indeed, uh, a matter of a few months ago, I was very pleased indeed when I was in the 
this place beside, uh, no, beside Spitz of the Green, the, uh, the exhibition centre. And there was an exhibition of, of, of watercolours by C.E. Kelly, the famous Dublin opinion uh, artist. And I went in to see them, and I was looking at one of them, admiring as my two hands were full over my eyes. And I turned around, and it was Charlie Kelly, and I was thrilled that he remembered me, and we had a long chat. He was very, very friendly to deal with, but of course they had no money in those days. In the 1930s, variety took a sudden upswing. John McDonough took over control of Light Entertainment in 1935, and we heard Question Time, presented by Eric Bowden, who had been doing a very successful run with an audience quiz show at the Theatre Royal. By 1935, a radio formula of it had been worked out, and Sunday listening became a must for everyone who could get near a radio. Fees were upped, and broadcasts began to come regularly from the Cork Studios, at home with George McSweeney, Bill Toomey and the Cork Melody Makers, Willie O'Toole, an outstanding young tenor with a superb natural voice, while at home in Henry Street, a young Albert Healy made his first broadcast with his uncles, and... The Thunder Brothers and Albert Healy vied with the Cork Melody Makers for audience reaction. Question Time now began to travel round the country under the aegis of Joe Linane. Those were good years, Joe, eh? Yes, indeed, Dennis. Charged with interest and incident and fraught with tension. Well, I think, perhaps, that the initial success of the series was due to the fact that it was the first successful programme on the uh, on the lighter side that travelled the length and breadth of the country every Sunday evening, each week a different cast of characters, indeed the best kind of cast, a local cast. The performers, well, you could imagine, they were all known to their listeners in a radius of 50 miles from where the programme would emanate. Uh, anyway, we transported batteries and microphones and, oh, the devil knows what, transmitting apparatus to literally hundreds of venues over a three- or perhaps a four-year period. I forget the exact time involved. Uh, cars, I remember, of course, they were off the road. It was the worst time of the transport and um, the war period. And I sometimes would have to leave my home base oh, two days before transmission sometimes to be sure of getting to the broadcasting venue in time for the Sunday night show. I remember, as a matter of fact, an ESB man who worked on the panel at the main distribution point telling me during that time that you could see the, the load on the dial coming up at five minutes to eight on Sunday before the broadcast. There were no TAM ratings in those days, but it was an indication of the, the kind of interest there was in the programme that every little radio set, there were no transmi- uh, transistors then, the, the electric radio sets were showing on the dial. The first uh, outside broadcast of the show, I remember, was from the stage of the Cork Opera House. I can't remember what year exactly. And perhaps I might be forgiven for reviving the story of our most famous, or perhaps infamous, programme in the series, which ran for many years, as I've said. And this uh, incident was publicised, the whole programme, rather, was publicised by this incident. It was an occurrence that happened during the show at St Mary's Hall in Belfast. And it was at a time during the war, you should think about 1941, when the Allied cause was looking a bit shaky. It was anything but secure and successful anyway. And at a time when Winston Churchill was spurring the United Kingdom population to further effort with uh, slightly spurious tales of non-existent successes, 
Well, anyway, I'm in Belfast this night. The programme was live. And I asked this competitor in the quiz, who is regarded as the greatest storyteller in the world's history? And the answer I expected was, of course, Hans Christian Andersen. But this gent, he just paused for a moment, and then he said, Winston Churchill. Well, the place erupted. I never heard anything like it. The, the whole audience collapsed. And afterwards, on the stopwatch, we it was time. The, the laughter during this sequence, it went on for something like seven to nine minutes. It was just about dying in the hall, and the next thing it exploded up again, and we went on and on. That was the funniest incident in my whole entertainment uh, history. You'd really want to have heard it. It's a terrible pity we didn't have a recording of it. But anyway, it made us sort of famous or infamous at the time. And later, incidentally, there was a question in the British House of Commons about the thing, because an honourable member asked the Home Secretary if he would not complain to the Irish government about the insult to the British Prime Minister, no less, in a broadcast which emanated from the Irish Republic. Ho, ho, dear, oh, dear. Well, anyway, it was a doubtful claim to fame, but I think we're the only, in fact, I'm sure, we're the only programme in the history of Irish broadcasting which appears on the record in the British Hansard, the official parliamentary report. Something was still missing, however. Apart from Jimmy O'Dea, radio had produced no outstanding comedians. In 1947, he at last burst upon listening audiences. He was already well known in the larger cities for his touring shows, but had never appeared on radio. Now, suddenly, he was launched in a new style show with a zany script by a completely unknown writer, actually a prominent bank official, who used a pseudonym for fear of what his bosses would say. The show was called Lanigan's Holiday Inn. The big success of the series was Jack Cruz, and he's been broadcasting ever since. Well, Jack, what can you tell us about it? I, if I remember rightly, John Dalton was the producer of that, and uh, with some wonderful people in it, like uh, with uh, Seamus Kavanagh and uh, uh, our very good friend Mr. Ford, who is, is still very much involved in radio. Uh, each week there was uh, something happening in this place. And we bought this old farmhouse, and, and we de decided to develop it into a, a holiday a sort of a home or a place where people came and and it it ran for a long long time a chap by the name of Moore I think uh, was involved in the writing of it and somewhere along the line I felt Terry O'Sullivan had something to do and I think that was the first time I met Terry uh, then of course in the early 50s I did um, a series from Butlins uh, I was doing the Butlins season from 1950 one to 1958, and we did a, a lot of uh, holiday hayride series from there, which was absolutely marvellous because you were set up with an audience, you were able to warm them up, you had 1,300 people in the theatre, and I think it was the best audience reaction we could possibly get. You know, you had them drilled, uh, and it sounded wonderful. Then I didn't do anything for a while. Uh, I think I did a, another thing, a thing called Winter Cruise, with uh, John Dalton produced that... We used to go and visit a certain country and do songs and sketches if, about the country, which was fairly successful. Then there was a Jack in the Box recently, 
But we, I had an earlier jack-in-the-box in the 40s, I think, with the Thunder Brothers and Albert Healy. And this one, and then we had... Uh, the last one was with Brendan Smith, I think, who was involved in the writing of it. I forget who the producer was. But then I'd be, I've done guest spots, and I've done a lot of uh, invitations from PJ... O'Connor for Christmas shows, you know. Uh, uh, we used to do those in the Francis Xavier Hall. Oh, I've recorded in Exchequer Street and Henry Street, O'Connell Hall, TV Club, the Francis Xavier Hall, anywhere at Rat Miles. And, and now I find myself in this magnificent mansion. And now the names of new shows began to spill out of the press-cutting book. Fun Galore with the late Mike Nolan, Round the Fire with Joe Lynch and Martin Dempsey, Lively as the Lee from the Cox Studios, Variety Magazine, with people like Stanley Holloway, Ronald Reagan and Googie Withers. Minstrel Show with the Black Jesters in full costume with audiences and an orchestra playing every month to a packed Phoenix Hall. This is How They Sounded. Audience participation was the name of the game, and here is one of the men who specialised in audience participation programmes, Peter Heffernan. Well, nearly all the shows I've had on the radio were audience participation, and I've been very lucky because, you see, the man who produced all the radio shows I was in, almost all of them, was Paddy O'Connor, and we were on the same wavelength, that way at least in most other ways, but that way we were on the same wavelength. I believe in an audience, you see, I like to get to an audience before we go on, you know, get right to them and make them feel that it's not just a case of asking them to clap, come in and clap and go out. Well, Town Hall tonight was a marvellous programme, I think, even though I say so myself. Uh, it was, of course, a, a very long-running show. It ran for, I think, it was about ten years, although initially we only had one programme. We started with one program, Michal O'Hay answered to one program, and we went on for ten years. But that was a marvellous program in many ways, principally because I think that was one program that really got to the people over the microphones and the audience in the hall. We had enormous crowds coming to see it. We recorded at stretches of, say, 12 weeks at a time. We do 12 programmes, one each week, nearly always on a Wednesday. We also had in that programme, of course, the great Ian Priestley Mitchell, who was absolutely marvellous, marvellous. He was not the traditional type of chairman for that type of show because the traditional type was the fellow with the pint in front of him and the, the gavel, the mallet, and he'd tapping. Well, Ian never did anything like that. Ian had that great finesse about him. And I'm sure if you knew him at all, he had a wonderful speaking voice, great projection, marvellous projection. He was the chairman, and of course we had the singers, the Peter Heffernan singers, and uh, 
the comic. Of course, we had a comic, Frank Foley, who was, was marvellous comic because, uh, marvellous radio comic, because he could do what very few comics can do, and that is, as he came out before he opened his mouth at all, he had the audience laughing. How he did it, I don't know. Maybe he looked funny, I don't know, but he always, that was a great help to him because he was right away... The minute he came out, they had him laughing, so he just kept him laughing. He did a short spot. And all over that programme was very successful. We had marvellous audience participation, colossal audience participation. Of course, we used a lot of these uh, song sheets, you know, hanging from the flyers, helped them to sing them. They could sing, read the words and sing them. Of course, we had warmed them up before the programme, and during the programme then, of course, they sung as directed. But I always directed the audience now. I conducted them with the singing, and they were... Really wonderful, because lots of the tunes, of course, were played a slight bit different to what they thought they should be played, but they always came with me. Consequently, it was all over. I think Town Hall Tonight was a very successful series. And they all walk, the wibbly wobbly walk, all talk, the wibbly wobbly talk, all wear wibbly wobbly ties, and we can all the There's Mr. Peter Heffern in here, and he's brought his singers grand. And Mr. Joseph Milton conducts the great Barnstormers band. So make your way without delay. It's the greatest show for many a day. A warm welcome now for your genial chairman and master of ceremonies. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ian Priestley Mitchell. Thank you and welcome. Your presence warms our hearts. We come before you as did the strolling players of that merry bygone age. When through Ireland's near and distant parts, they found acclaim on every town hall stage. Drama, song and dance, panto too, naught came amiss. Our joyful duty now to recapture part of this. So throw away your worries, discard dull care, for your town hall festive party is on the air. <laughs> For Variety Roll Call, a new monthly series with the light orchestra under Dermot O'Hara's baton, Joe Lynch emerged as the perfect genial master of ceremonies. Very soon now he was to be a big star in his own right after moving from the Radio Erin Players to the Abbey Theatre Company. But a little man with big glasses and a quick fire line of cheeky patter was waiting in the wings. Hal Roach. Meanwhile... 
Val Vasden was still going strong in a musical biography of Percy French and a radio adaptation of his own colourful life story, lending us an added lustre to the glittering array of new performers. Jimmy O'Dee hosted the first of a new-style Christmas show to which every big name in the business contributed. It was the first of many such annual Christmas shows, and there were more to be had for the searching. So some people said, while the experienced advised against it. Talent in the country? Not at all. But in 1949, Radio Aaron set out to find it, with a new series called Beginners, Please. It was compared by a light comedian who had been playing the Capitol Cinema, had auditioned, without much hope, for a solo spot on radio, and had impressed the variety department as the man they were looking for. His name was Roy Croft. Beginners, Please took three months and 400 auditions to prepare for its first 12-week series. It ran for over four years and unearthed such discoveries as Val Dunigan, Austin Gaffney, Paddy Crosby, Tom Finglas and his Mountaineers, Rose Brennan, Rose Tynan, Shane Redmond, Willie Brady and enough instrumentalists and ballad singers to fill the programmes for a long time to come. In its final year, it travelled to Cork, complete with Dermot O'Hara and the Light Orchestra, and guest stars Jack Cruz, Noel Purcell and Paddy Crosby. For three packed concerts in the City Hall. Roy Croft is here with us, long since retired from radio, to tell us what he remembers of those exciting years. Well, certainly we, we did have lots of laughs, there's no doubt about that. We held auditions, and you'd be surprised in those years, the auditions we held. You know, everybody feels that Ireland is full of comedians. They're all funny men. Well, they may be funny in a bar, but when you put them on a the stage, they suddenly stop being funny. Where we get thousands of tenors. Tenors were no problem. Plenty of tenors and, uh, and other things, but funny men were very hard to come by. So the auditions, you might audition, say, 20 people, 40 people. And it doesn't really matter whether they're funny men or singers, you might only end up with four or five people. So for the auditioning periods, there was a hell of a lot of work went into it, you know? Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Hal Roach landed the top comic role in Ranch House Revels and romped through a season of high-speed gags and songs. Joe Lynch was launched as a lead comic in his own series, Living with Lynch. You'll be in the company of Joe Lynch, Pamela Duncan, Charlie Byrne, uh, Jack Gregory, and the orchestra. Uh, who else? No, Dinjo won't be here. Better watch out because anything can happen when the introductions get living with Lynch. Tis not tis darky a living. Uh, I'm awful sorry for getting you out of bed. Tis all right. Sure, I had to come down to answer the phone anyway. <laughs> wait, wait, wait one minute now. Are you, are you, the, are you the barman in Leinster House? Yes, yes, that's right. Well, do you know why I'm really big asses? <laughs> oh yeah. This is Joseph. Joe Boy the Go Boy Lynch. Oh, TD for Fastener Rock. 
Good night to you, sir. Good night. What do you want? Tell me, hmm? Well, tell me one thing. What's your name, Michael? Yes. Michal. Mick Vick. <laughs> tell us, old son, what time does what time does the members' bar open in Leinster House? Oh well, listen to me now, sir. It will be open at the next session, which will be on Monday week, sir. Michael Mick Vick. Would you, ever, would you ever come on down and open it now, would you? Oh, no, 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 uh, sir. Oh, wait. No, down, no sir, you'll Michael, have to... Michael, this is your TD talking. Wait, no, you'll have to wait till Monday week. I'll come down Monday week and let you in now, sir. This is your TD, not your DT. <laughs> no, on, sir. Down, I'll no. be down at the next session. I'll let you in on Monday week. I'll let, let you... Let me in, Mick. I want you to let me out. <laughs> A Yankee came to Aaron's Isle, a leprechaun to find. Now leprechauns have crocks of gold, and that was on his mind. He went down to a fairy glen at the break of day. And when he spied a leprechaun, this is what he heard him say. Good morning, sir, how do you do? And a welcome to the glen. Now follow me to the fairy tree and meet my little men. They're counting out their crocks of gold and drinking mountain dew. And for every crock of gold they've got, I'm going to give you two. So I cried for joy, I jumped with glee, I flung my head up in the tree, I danced a jig just for glee. Diddly, diddly, umpty dee, then all of a sudden he turned around, cried, it's here, it's on the ground. But when I took my eyes off him, I couldn't see a single thing, but the gold was gone, gone, ooh, gone. And so was that slicky old tricky we left for gone. Forget about his box of gold if that's what's on your mind. If you go down a fairy glen at the break of day, and when you spy a leprechaun, you can bet your life he'll say, And good morning, sir, how do you do? And welcome to the glen. Now follow me to the fairy tree and meet my little men. They're counting out their crocks of gold and drinking mountain dew. And for every crock of gold they've got, I'm going to give you two. For joy, you'll jump with me, you'll fling your hat upon the tree, dance a jig just for glee, diddly, diddly, up dee dee, then all of a sudden he'll turn around and cry, it's here, it's on the ground. When you take your eyes off him, you'll never see a single thing, for the gold is gone, whoops, gone, gone, and so has that slicky old tricky we left from Every summer, the Radio Erin recording band travelled down to Butlins to record Jack Cruz and his company in Holiday Hayride. Variety was alive and well and living in Henry Street, under the direction of Michal O'Hay, who presented not only Beginner's Please and Living with Lynch, but many other long-running series which won national acclaim. Take the Floor with Dinjo and Dermot O'Brien. The Ballad Maker Saturday Night with Joe Lynch, Una Collins, Martin Dempsey, Sean O'Sheachan, Brendan Behan and Archie O'Sullivan. Town Hall Tonight with Ian Priestley Mitchell and the Peter Heffernan Singers. Other series which achieved popular acclaim. Not So Green with Rosalind Lenahan. Shoshar with Seamus Kavanagh, Liam O'Kelly and Con Lehan. And of course Back to School and School Around the Corner with Paddy Crosby.
Well, the idea of the school around the corner came originally from the school by act that I used to do. I was the original school by, as the fella said. I used to dress up and portray a fella called Mucky Dunn. And uh, actually, I was using uh, the nickname of a lad who had been in school with me. But uh, when the other, the major series started, we were looking for a signature tune. So they decided to use the very same signature tune that I used in the single school by act. And uh, it was Michal O'Hay and Seamus Kaivanach who introduced it to radio. Um, Seamus saw something in it because he had been a teacher himself. And God knows there was a, no greater character than Seamus. We did a run of six in the beginning, and the first school we did was my, my own school, Brun Brunswick, not Brunswick Street, Brunner as we call it, and uh, we recorded it at another, and another school together. Uh, it was a howling success. It was uh, a winner right from the start. In fact, I can claim to be the first fellow in Radio Eden <laughs> to give free speech to kids. Cool on radio with Sean O'Reada, Kjol Tori Kool and Shanachie Eamon Kelly was an instant success. But perhaps one of the most popular radio variety shows of those years was produced by Fred O'Donovan and starred Maureen Potter in her own series of The Maureen Potter Show. the next half hour, you'll be hearing from Maureen Potter, Pat Lade, Dennis Brennan, Finnegan, Des Smith, and the College Man. And here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Maureen Potter. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the show. Career Corner. Each week at this time, our expert advises parents on the wonderful careers open to young folk today. Mothers, do you want to see your daughters really going places? Make her an air hostess. Before she dons that glamorous uniform and takes the air, our hostess goes to school for a thorough grounding. Welcome, girls, to the SRH. The company think SRH means school for air hostesses, but we know that SRH stands for seekers after husbands. <laughs> Girls, if it's a man you're after, this is the job. When it comes to getting our man, the Mounties are only skiing after us. And why not? There we are, walking up and down that plane with all those gorgeous men strapped to their seats, helpless. <laughs> Can't even light a cigarette till we say so. What type are you after? A good-looking, handsome one? If so, mark your man before the plane takes off. Believe me, they all look alike with their heads in paper bags. <laughs> and if it's money you want, hand him the wine list and watch his face. If he doesn't faint when he sees those prices, that's your man. <laughs> off you go now to your places, girls. And remember, we may wear wings, but we're no angels. Keep cool and calm, you'll be collected. So the class graduates, and comes the great day when our young hostess, cool, chic, and sophisticated, greets her first plane load. Hurry along now. 
Come on, we haven't all day. Have you your embrocation cards ready? Right now, douse your dossies and belt up. <laughs> Mister, would you fasten your belt, please? You don't wear one? Well, do something. Put a knot in your braces. <laughs> well, sir, what's worrying you? You had to pay for your excess baggage. Serves you right for bringing her with you. <laughs> yes, lady. What type of plane is it? It's a belted earl, ma'am. A Viscount that was hit by a Britannia. <laughs> Will it get off the ground? I hope so. Your man is not a bad pilot, but he's a shocking driver. He took me to Bray last Sunday, and I'm not telling you a word of a lie. My heart is in my mouth from the time we started. Ah, we're off. You can undo your belts now and fog away. Anyone want a book? Our boys, pegs, paper, titbits, free man's journal, lady telling <laughs> Oh, oh, somebody must have left that behind. Press, haggle on Now, he's all happy. You again, sir. You what? You think one of the engines is missing? Missing? <laughs> we had four when we started. Who pinched the end? Oh, it's Miss Varden, sir. Oh, I bet it's that colorblind mechanic again. Keeps putting in the wrong color paraffin. Don't worry, sir. We can carry on safely with three engines, even with one. What happens if they all break down? Well, sir, in such an emergency, the pilot has a special remedy. He has a rabbit's foot that he rubs. <laughs> Where do I get them? What's going on up front there? What's going on up there? Mister, you can't go in there. That's the pilot's cabin. Your boss, you're taking over the plane, you certainly... You're... Ooh, he has a gun. Oh, well, as Castro said to Kennedy, come to Cuba, our sugar can't be beat. Down on the border. That a performer so essentially visual should adapt so readily to the non-visual medium of broadcasting was quite extraordinary. Looking back on it now, Maureen, did you feel any qualms about the transition? Hmm. You know, it's a strange thing, but my memories seem to be all halls. Yes, all halls. The Phoenix Hall, the O'Connell Hall, the Francis Xavier Hall, as the Dubliner calls it, and the hallowed halls of Henry Street. My first visit to Henry Street was as a precocious nine-year-old, way back in 1900 and frozen to death. I was standing on top of a box singing There won't be any big parade There won't be any music played Sad to say no war today Come the generals fast asleep <laughs> Come to think of it, I don't think I was ever paid for that sensational appearance Allowing for inflation and interest I reckon the fee must be worth millions by now Send for Richie Ryan This could put an end to the second channel I wonder does anyone refer to it as the second challenge? That was a great Dublin expression Super week of variety at the Theatre Royal, all cross channel artists. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah. Standing on a box in Henry Street singing The General's Fast Asleep. I just dashed down from the panto in the, in the Olympia, actually, at the time, yes. Jimmy O'Dee in Jack and the Beanstalk. My memories of the Phoenix Hall, of course, are of Jimmy, Harry O'Donovan, Jim and Josie Johnson, Vernon Hayden, Joel and Ayne, and all those other members of Mrs Mulligan's family. If you looked in at one of those broadcasts and saw the serious, immaculately dressed little man, spectacles on the end of his nose, gold pencil poised over his papers, you could easily mistake him for a company chairman examining the balance sheet. Of course, the voice would immediately identify the speaker as the terror of Francis Street. What do you mean, Army Herdens Pure? I only sell them. I don't swim around with them to keep them out of bad company. Hmm. <laughs> 
and in the background, Harry O'Donovan, every cough, showering light and tobacco all over the tweed suit and us. Harry, the unsung hero of a thousand scripts, many of them as funny and as topical today as they were in those happy days. He gave Josie Johnson one of the first, if not the first, of the radio catchphrases. Like when someone mentioned an unusual word, for instance, like Hacienda, Josie would gurgle, Oh, I love Hacienda's, particularly with custard on them. And then for our Christmas show from the Phoenix Hall, we had the light orchestra and reinforcements from the Radio Air and Rep. Wonderful people, like my lovely, lovely old chum, Una Collins, Tom Studley, Peg Monaghan, Derder O'Mara, Seamus Ford. Harry O'Donnell would really go to town on those scripts with all sorts of strange characters and accents. And to see and hear the rep in action on those scripts was to realise the depth of talent and the versatility there was in that company. I used to say to myself, thank God they didn't go into variety. We could all retire. But back to Henry Street and my own little show, Fame at Last. Potter Times was produced by Jim Plunkett, a very sensitive and gifted man. And with Molly Phillips at the piano. Molly Phillips. Now there's another name that will always be associated with R.E. Invariably with a very fashionable hat and the cigarette drooping from the lips, peering at my tattered music through a haze of smoke. I'm sure Molly was the inspiration for that lovely tune, Smoke Gets In Your Eyes. (laughs) Off to the Phoenix Hall again, this time with another O'Donovan, Fred O'Donovan, and the Maureen Potter Show. I can recall one hectic St. Patrick's Day and a live broadcast to the United States featuring that lovely tenor, John Feeney. Evidently, John had a very highly rated radio show in the States, sponsored by a famous brewery. No, not that one, for a change. This one was called Schaefer's, and several high-powered executives came over to help, quote, with the production One very fussy Irish-American was the music man and he made life very difficult for the small, volatile conductor of the light orchestra, who shall be nameless. When the visitor made his umpteenth impossible demand about five minutes before the relay, our conductor cast his eyes up to heaven and declared, Well, glorious St. Patrick, you drove the snakes out of Ireland, but they're coming back as bloody brewery men. And so over that amazing place in O'Connell Street, where else is you? The O'Connell Hall. Hilarious Sundays with Cecil Sheridan, Pat Lay, Denny Brennan and Eugene Lambert's alter ego, Finnegan. And we had Ian Henry, Maisie McDaniel, Noel Keelan and a smashing group, Des Smith, now without his college men, and Bill O'Donovan looking after us all. Last but not least, the show bands. Every Sunday, we had a different show band. The Capitol, the Miami, the Cadets, the Royal, the Freshmen, and, as Dennis Brennan used to say in his dark brown voice, the fabulous original Clipper Carlton. If you remember them, well, you really are dated. When they were the tops, Big Tom was only starting with the branch liners. Then we introduced a catchphrase. I always blame Dermot Doolan for this. Our final sketch about the unspeakable Gem and Agnes always closed with me shrieking, Rip it up, Gem! Rip it up! The teenagers really took to this and they'd sit impatiently through the sketch to scream at the end, Rip it up, Gem! Rip it up! 
often, I may add, before the appropriate moment had arrived. Ah, it was great. It was great to have a surefire tag or an ending to your final sketch. But it also had its drawback. Often and I would be proceeding sedately and respectably down Grafton Street, smiling at people who recognised you. Some joker from a van or bus would scream, How are you, Marion? Rip it up, Jam! Rip it up! Not at all the thing for Grafton Street. But at least it proved someone was listening. And that's the point of the exercise, isn't it? You know, boys and girls, there are so many memories, and particularly people. Lovely people, like Larry Morrow, Morris Gorham, Seamus Kavanagh, Michael O'Hay, PJ O'Connor and Tommy Warren. You could go on for the next 50 years remembering. And they're all happy memories, like the time that grand old man Ian Priestley Mitchell introduced me in a very involved rhyme. Very flattering it was. And the final line said, Here she is, queen of stage and screen, Maureen Potty. Maybe he was right. Yes, those were happy days at Radio Erin. I wonder why they never asked me back. Question time put on a new dress and became family quiz in an attempt to find the champion family in the country. Terry O'Sullivan switched to light music for his long-running erudite musical quiz programmes and appealed to a new generation of listeners. And Danny Cummins, after many years playing support roles in comedy shows, kicked off with a series of his own, Cummins and Goins. The backbone of many of the shows was the RTE Light Orchestra under conductor and my old sparring partner, Dermot O'Hara. There was nothing they couldn't play from Gilbert and Sullivan to Dixieland jazz, from concertos to Cole Porter. And now Cecil Sheridan, rolling them in the aisles in his recent radio show, Golden Days. Oh, I said I'd rather have a baby, I said, than have a tooth out. <laughs> but it's a make up your mind before I take out me pliers. Well, I... <laughs> well, all the same. I just got out and had a look at me teeth when it was all over. Not a tooth in me head, missus. Not a tooth in me head. I said, I told take out the back one. He said, I'm a trade unionist, one out, all out. <laughs> ah, but it's not like the old days, is it? Not like the old days. Now with the national health, oh. You know, years ago when you went to get a tooth out, they took care of you, sit down and relieved your mind and all that, you know. But now with the national health, Called in, you're bunged into a chair. They stuff something in your mouth to say, boys, toys, right, good night. <laughs> well, well, I'm going off to Hannigan's now, where you can start them all off. Come into the parlour, you can make yourself alone. Come into the parlour, do you walk to yonder own? The dignity, the rapper, the twenty and the moon. Sing a 
In more recent times, with P.P. Maguire, Head of Drama and Variety, Radio Variety continued to present new editions of the most popular series of the past and ventured into the difficult field of satire. Studio audiences in Dublin and the provinces continued to flock to Palace of Varieties, follow the festivals, Hannigan's Hooley, Sounds of Shandon, Top Talent, Jack in the Box and the long-running Gaeltock the Variety series produced by Seamus Branagh. The bilingual version of the famous panel game 20 Questions continued to soar in popularity, while the more easygoing quiz and panel games gave way to more serious treatments in quote-unquote and top score. But the old happy-go-lucky atmosphere was retained in first class and in Trakeshto Kalashti Sauri, but by far the most popular variety show of recent years is the topical satirical programme produced by William Stiles, featuring Rosaline Linehan, John Kyo, Bosco Hogan and Aidan Grenell. Get an earful of this. Get an earful of this. It's a show you can't miss. If you want to be found with an ear to the ground, get an ear full of cheek, get a look at the week, get music, get cracks, get laughs, get attacks. So if you got the wax, get an ear full of this. <coughs> yeah. Explain to me now, Richie. What's this I hear about <coughs> Garrett being in, in, in the running for the job in the park? Uh, what job in the park, Taoiseach? The presidency, of course. Uh, but we have a president. No, we haven't. Fianna Fáil have. You know, the, the little fellow with the white tie and the bicycle. Uh, Mr O'Dolly. And it's daddy's name. Hmm. Anyway, with Garrett in the park in the future, we'll be made up. Hmm. Great honour for him and great achievement for Fine Gael. What on earth are you raving about? Uh, I mean, how can Garrett be president while Mr O'Dolly is still in office? Didn't I see it in the Independent? And the Independent is still our party Bible, even if the... The new crowd working on the paper do seem to forget it from time to time these ah, days. Yeah. Now I know what yeah. you're on about. What they actually said was that Garrett is almost a dead cert to be nominated as the new president of the EEC. President of the EEC? Is that all? That's hardly worth bothering about. Oh, I don't know, Taoiseach. I mean, it's a very important position. No, not, not, not at all. Ju ju just a title. Well, Taoiseach, don't forget there's a great move towards centralised European government. Well, what the hell does that mean? It means that the European Parliament could become more powerful than the Dáil. Rubbish. So what could be more powerful than the Dáil? And he'd be travelling all over the place? <laughs> Sooner him than me. After the travel sickness I got in the plane to Rome last he'd year... He'd be I'd... meeting all kinds of foreign dignitaries, building up lots of contacts, influence. Sure, look, if you met one wog, you met them all. And then, of course, as President of the EC, he'd be getting an extra salary of £40,000. How much? 40,000 quid. That, that, that's a fortune. Uh, I, I never dream. I, I mean, I, no idea. 40,000. Right, look, right then, Richie. There's only one thing for it. A, a, a cabinet reshuffle. Uh, a cabinet reshuffle? Yeah, yeah. Tell Garrett he's going to be our new minister for, uh, let me see now, minister for domestic services. But who'll be our minister for foreign affairs? Me, of course. Damn it all, the presidency of the EEC is too difficult a job for an inexperienced young fellow like, like Garrett. And now, another dose of nostalgia. 
as we return once more to the subject of Irish Radio's fantabulous 50th anniversary. Oh, no, not again. And what's more, we make no apology for it. After all, RTE is running a special Sunday series to celebrate the event every week for the next 50 years. So now, a little atmosphere, please. It was an ancient wireless set that languished in our attic. Its dial was dim, its valves were dead, its knobs were quite rheumatic. I twiddled them and fiddled them like Grandad did in yesteryear. And then an old forgotten sound came faintly to my ear. Proudly the upright piano is playing the call sign familiar we all used to know. Over the airwaves the signal displaying there's ghosts still alive yet in the old GPO. Programs of yesteryear came flooding to my ear. Voices and music from old radio. Features and fungal lore, quiz shows and many more. Radio Aaron from days long ago. Reality or ghostly sounds? I searched in vain for clues. Until I heard a bulletin of rather ancient news. It wasn't just my memory that had been playing tricks. The voice said, Now the licence fee goes up to seven and six. Programs of yesteryear came flooding to my ear. Voices and music from old radio. Features and fun galore, quiz shows and many more. Radio air and from days long ago. And? As far as possible, that about covers the first 50 yearfuls of variety and comedy on radio. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing, everything that traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bar. Ah There's no Yesterday they told you you would not go far That night you open and there you are Next day on your dressing room they've hung a star Let's go on with the show Let's go on with the show 